podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to the penultimate episode of Rival Recon for the 2022-2023 season here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. Seven consecutive wins and a revitalised Trent Alexander-Arnold remarkably have the Reds going into their last two games of the season with an outside chance of qualifying for the Champions League. With qualification ultimately out of their hands, however, Klopp will be hoping that his side make it nine wins in a row to end the campaign and set the tone for the season to come. The Reds' next challenge, however, comes in the form of a rejuvenated Aston Villa, who arrive at Anfield on Saturday, having transformed under Unai Emery's leadership. Joining me on the pod to go over where things went wrong for Gerard and how Emery has overseen such a drastic improvement, we welcome on co-host of the Hulkcast podcast, Sebastian Bacon. Welcome, Sebastian. Great to be speaking with you and like uh, learning more about Aston Villa's season. I think it's, it's, it's certainly been a fascinating one. It's probably an emotional one in in some spaces for for Liverpool fans, given sort of the the manager that you started the season with, uh, and obviously the way the way in which things unfolded for him wasn't as you would have uh, you would have hoped. Uh, certainly wasn't as Liverpool fans would have hoped. But um, I, I do want to ask you just to come up to, to present day just for the moment I mean looking at the table currently in eighth place level on points with uh with Spurs who, who are above you in seventh I think purely on just goal difference given where you are given the progress you've made under Emery I mean I, I just want to ask you sort of now we're right at the end of the season what are your overarching thoughts on on how the campaign's gone it's been a real roller coaster of emotions in all honesty yeah. <laughs> expectations weren't met so far in the season with Gerard, and I think it got to a point where he did have to go um you know fallings out with players I think a lot was dealt with wrong you know still obviously a very young manager in his in his career and I'm sure that he will learn from his experience at Villa but since we've got Emery in it's been well almost a fairy tale really for any Villa fan um he's exceeded any of our expectations and the fact that with two games to go we're in with a outside shot of qualifying in the European places after worrying, genuinely worrying about the possibility of facing a relegation battle in 2022. Yeah. yeah I'm I'm absolutely delighted with how it's gone. And if we do then like cast our minds back to, to Gerard's time as, as manager of the club, I just want to, to get a sense of whether you ever thought it was clear that it was visible to see what he was trying to do with this Villa side. I mean, when everything did click, and I'm I'm so fully conscious that there was you know, very few occasions, but when things did click, uh, what what was he trying to do with the team? Sort of how was he setting Villa up, and, and like um, what kind of football did he want Villa to play in an ideal world? 
He started off really positively. I think he tried to adopt the sort of tactics that worked so well for him at Rangers. Obviously, breaking Celtic's duck over in Scotland is no small feat. So he yeah. clearly has something about him. But just everything seemed to go against him. He obviously lost his very trusted number two in Mick Beale. And I feel as a young manager, one of the key characteristics that you have to have is a good relationship with your number two. So he probably would have felt betrayed and it would have put him on the back foot going into this season. He then sold all of our wingers because he wanted to play a wingerless formation, which I completely understand. But then as soon as he realised that that wasn't working and he suddenly did need to play out wide, there was no one there for him to utilise within the club because he'd sold them all. So it almost felt as though he tried to change our style of play, but he didn't have the players to implement the style of play that he wanted to change. Obviously, looking back now, I'd say as a Villa fan, our most important players this second half of the season, the Tyrone Mings, Douglas Lewis and Ollie Watkins, the transformation that they've had under Unai Emery is just, words can't describe it almost. But if you if you cast your mind back to the first game of the season when we lost 1-0 against Bournemouth, those three players were left out on the bench and they, they clearly weren't rated by Gerrard. So... I feel as though he he tried to do too many things at once and that almost cost him. Yeah, that makes sense. I certainly agree with you around sort of young managers relying on their assistant coaches who are you know, having more experienced uh, people to to fall back on. I think it's certainly hurt Gerard. And yeah, I do hope he can go away and sort of reflect on it, learn from it, not not be too sort of eager to get back into the into the saddle, the way in which I think it's sort of Lampard has sort of done at Chelsea, probably to his detriment, to be honest, in terms of sort of how it's ended up going for him. But uh, we'll definitely come back to talk about those players that sort of Gerard isolated, and you know, as well as being sort of big talents in this Villa side, they're also big characters in the Villa side as well. So I feel like it's probably not the smartest thing to do to take to take those battles on if you are under pressure as a young manager who, who despite the success in Scotland, had, hadn't proven proven too much, but. I wanted to also ask you because obviously Gerard did have some influence as well on the on the players who who, who came in. But I'd imagine, right, in terms of sort of the actual transfers that were made this season, and in terms of the players that did come in, and I think much has been made of Villa being willing to spend money this this time around and sort of sensible signings, some intelligent signings, um, and perhaps um, we'll get your opinion on on others that you think are not as wise, but. In terms of the names that come in, if we think about Diego Carlos, think about Coutinho, obviously. Uh, I think there was uh, John Duran as well from uh, from the from the MLS and Dodonka, uh, Alex Moreno, Robert Olsen. It's uh, Bubakar Kamara on a free transfer, which I thought was an incredible deal, to be honest. Of the players that have come in um, so far, how many of them have actually made a significant impact uh on the team, how many of them are still focal figures uh, at this point? We've been really unfortunate with Diego Carlos because in his first home game of the season, he did his ACL. So he's only just come back. He's made one appearance since that moment. So it almost feels as though a new signing in regards to him. Bubakar Kamara, words can't describe how much I love that man. (laughs) He is such a good midfielder Mm. and he is so young and, he reads the game so well. Everything about him is so calm and composed. Again, another one that's been riddled with injuries at times this season. So we haven't been able to see his his full potential, if you like. 
but he is one that I'm really excited for for the future. Alex Moreno obviously came in under Unai Emery and I honestly think has the potential to be one of the best left backs in the league during our winning run. He was unstoppable. There were a few question marks at first about his defensive nature as a fullback. We all know how good he is going forward from his time at Real Batiste, but there were question marks asked of him. But I think Unai Emery has almost switched that style of play of his so that he he does look really comfortable going back. You mentioned John Duran, a young striker. I think he'll probably go out on loan next year. Every time he enters the pitch, he looks like an excited puppy running around. (laughs) He doesn't really have much influence on the game. Dendonk is another one, a, a really good, solid, solid option. Um, someone to bring on in the last 10 minutes when Kamara was out, he was able to slot in really well. And he's been a part of two of our biggest victories this season, 3-0 at Newcastle and 3-1 at Man United, both at Villa Park. Leander Dendonk are both started in, so he is a really key player when he plays in that midfield. So yeah, on the whole, I think Villa have made made good progress in recent windows. Obviously, with our wealthy owners, we'll look to continue doing that because the target is to break into that top six mould, if you like, in the league. But the the building blocks are certainly in place at the moment at Villa Park. And for those who are not familiar with the owners and sort of the impact that they've had since they've come into the club, I mean, just talk a little bit about sort of what you think of them as owners. I mean, much is made about how owners operate, just how visible or invisible they can be at times. Uh, do, do they listen to others? Do they consult your experts when it comes to sort of how they're going to operate a football club? Had some shining examples of those who perhaps haven't done that uh, this season in, in terms of sort of uh, Todd Bowley over at Chelsea. But in terms of sort of how you uh, how you regard these owners since they've, since they've come in and the impact they've had, the ambition they're clearly showing, um, Tell us a bit more about them. I I feel indebted to our owners, um, the two of them, NSWE. We've got Nasef Sawiris from Egypt and Wes Edens from America. And they they saved the football club. They really did. When we were in the championship under, under Steve Bruce, we had an owner called Dr. Tony who, if you like, went missing. We were we were almost days days by collapsing um it was a really really bad time at villa and then they came in they invested well they brought in the right men they brought in dean smith who obviously went and got us promoted they've continued to spend ever since they they get what it means to be a villa fan there's these plans coming out that we want to expand villa park they're constantly asking for the fans opinions on what we think could be better what we think needs improving, but they they don't do too much. Like you mentioned Todd Bowley, who who I don't think really understands football to a degree. And you see all these football clubs, even maybe Liverpool, who some fans have a real distant connection with their owners, but there's there's nothing of the sorts of that at Villa at the moment. And and I feel really lucky to have them. We've also got Christian Perslow, who isn't an owner, but he what he's almost our ownership on the ground, if you like. So he's the eyes and ears for the owners. Um, they obviously work very closely together. Now, I believe that bringing Unai Emery in and sacking Steven Gerrard was a decision which was made by Nasef Sawiris. He is very close to Unai. So again, that's another decision that he has got really, really well. Um, something that has, has stood us in good stead. Look, they're not they're not going to get everything right. And if they're to have a long career at this football club, which 
I can only hope that they do. They're going to get decisions wrong. But at the moment, I, I can't thank them enough for what they've done. Yeah, no, it has a personal. What role is it that he's uh, he's operating in at the club? I mean, in terms of sort of the director of football model that we see at clubs very often, is 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 that the role that he's currently in, um, actually doing? Yeah, I think he's a director of football, technical director, if you like. Right. Okay. Yeah. But does he tend to actually? Do you think he has much impact, uh, influence when it comes to transfers, or is that again? Is there have people been hired to actually be in charge of recruitment? It's impossible to say without being there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the links were made between him and Gerard when when Gerard came in. So you have to think that he has has some influence. Um, and sure. then, you know, he he was very vocal when we saw Jack Grealish about wanting to bring in three characters who had similar traits to Grealish. We ended up bringing Danny Ings, Leon Bailey and Emmy Buendia in, which hmm. haven't really worked out as we'd have maybe liked when selling Jack. So Perslow faces a lot of criticism from Villa fans for season ticket prices. They believe that they have been, I think some people have had their season tickets increased by over 200% in the last two years, which is very, which is wrong. You know, it shouldn't be happening. And again, he's got some stuff wrong at Villa Park. He's, some don't like him. Some believe that he doesn't have our best interests at heart. However, I believe that he, it, he. I think he gets it. He he constantly asks again for our opinions with this whole Villa stadium expansion. Excuse me, and you know, really wanting to almost modernize Villa Park, but also keep its traditional roots. He wants to know the fans' opinion, and I think as a football fan, that's. That's the most important thing. As long as you feel valued by the club, that's all you can really ask for, right? Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, I, th- I, I think personally, as somebody, there's always going to be sort of divided opinion amongst Liverpool fans, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, in terms of in terms of FSG as owners, I mean, I've, I've really had very few complaints. I think they've they've operated in a responsible way, done great things in terms of the stadium. Obviously, pulled in Klopp and <laughs> all the success that's um that's been there. The transfer policy has been very been been very wise. I think the only criticism I think that t- tends to get leveled at them is being a little bit too rigid to to the model in which they have uh, and not sensing when there's an opportunity of okay, you've got a generational manager. Perhaps we're going to break yeah you know, break our model here every now and then um, to uh, to pursue it. But again, I, I suppose this summer will prove a lot in terms of. Uh, how they continue to operate as owners and moving back on to a decision the owners made and you, you talked about the links there that that, that uh, one of the owners had with uh, Unai Emery um, many like obviously aware of Unai Emery and his his record as a manager um, I think he's always been underrated to be honest as a tactician certainly I've always thought he was very uh, very accomplished and like, very difficult games against him when he was at Villarreal uh, a couple of seasons ago. When that appointment was made, it was made quite quickly after the Gerard sacking, actually. Um... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. 
we have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I get a sense of what your opinion was, but I think, what do you think the uh, the opinion of the fan base was? Because I feel like this is a figure who has been unfairly maligned at times, right? The, the, by the time he left Arsenal, there was, was almost a, a figure of fun. He'd been parodied so much. Um, how do you think that actually was received amongst the fan base when that appointment was made? Obviously, I, I can't speak for everyone, but the general consensus, I feel, was over the moon. I think we were in a place where there were genuine relegation fears, if you like. We we were looking at our squad that, and I don't want to put all the blame on Gerard, but he mm. had made us believe that they weren't good enough at yeah. this level. Um, it wasn't clicking for whatever reason. And I think Villa fans realised that they needed that almost figurehead to be able to get everyone together that has worked at elite levels to be able to really drive this club forward. And I remember the two names that were being banded about was Maurizio Pochettino and Unai Emery. And I, I, I preferred Emery. I, I went on talk sport and I talked about the positives that Emery would bring. I can understand why everyone wanted, or I can understand why people <laughs> would lean towards Pochettino with what he did at Southampton, with what he did at Spurs. Sure. Unai perhaps didn't have that success in England previously. So that was a concern, but it I, it felt to me as though when he was appointed, the fan base recognised that that's probably a good appointment as we as we could have hoped for, as good a name as as elite a manager that we could have hoped for. Yeah, and I think to be fair to him, this is somebody who very much rehabilitated his image. I, I think following the Arsenal departure, I think the PSG is of course a job that I think nobody can really. Nobody can really manage that at the moment, given the current way in which the project is run. But I think certainly the way in which he uh, operates in the Europa League, I think l- let everybody realise just how how talented a, t- a tactician he is. And I just think he's, I can come on to it later on, but I think this is a, a game that lots of Liverpool fans regard as one that's going to be definitely uh, very tricky um, and very competitive because Emery is so you know, sort of famous for doing his due diligence when it comes to finding a way to expose the weaknesses of the opposition or you're being pragmatic to adapt his his tactics to it. But upon his appointment as as Villa manager, what were some of the first things that he looked to change? I mean, in terms of the way in which he, he moved the team around, players that came back into the fold from being out in the cold, what were some of the sort of the most noticeable things that he did? And, and then sort of how did he look to set this Villa side up? Yeah, I, I think you I think you explain it really well, Harry. I mean, this is a man that lives and breathes football. From from what we can hear inside the club, he's working sixteen, seventeen hour days inside Bodymore Heath, our training ground, and that's what he demands of his players as well. He he wants to improve people. He comes across as a genuinely humble person, a down to earth football manager. The first change he really made was with Ollie Watkins, who as I previously mentioned, faced a lot of criticism under Steven Gerrard. He he told Ollie to not drift out wide. 
He played him as a lone striker in the central role, and he didn't want him making unnecessary movements into the channels, which is what he was doing under the previous regime. And and it's worked for Oli. You know, he's he's got himself back up into the goal scoring charts. He's in with a chance of an England call up. He's been banging in the goals. He scored six in six at one stage. So that's had success for him. Another one is Emi Buendia, who who could rarely ever get a start on the pitch under Steven Gerrard, mainly because Gerrard never found a way to play him and Coutinho together. Emery favoured Buendia at first, but that was mainly because Coutinho was injured when Emery came in. And Buendia has been what feels like an ever-presence ever since he was appointed in November. He's also found ways that when Coutinho isn't injured, they can play together, with Coutinho playing as a striker alongside Ollie Watkins at times, and then Buendia slightly behind, or they could even interchange. So that's another positive. And then the last one I'd like to mention is Emi Martinez. Emi Martinez had his own goalkeeper coach at Villa, who ended up leaving when Emi came in. And his goalkeeper coach was a really... He was really well-liked amongst Villa fans, and it was a really sad thing to see him go. Emery brought in his own goalkeeper coach, and again, Martinez has just hit another level. There was a time where Kane was one-on-one with uh, at Villa Park at the weekend, and Martinez just stood his ground, stopped the ball going in the back of the net. And, you know, against the elite strikers, that is what you need, a goalkeeper who believes in his own ability. He's he's not well-liked amongst other fan bases. He's one of those players where you love him if you have him on, on your team. If you're playing against him, you hate him. He'll time waste. He'll get into your opponent's head. He'll do everything he can to win. Another one that lives and breathes football and has completely galvanised under Unai Emery and has gone to that other level. Yeah, and I think his... Uh... His persona, his uh, his character as a football uh, a football player is very well known. I think is certainly from some of the World Cup celebrations, for sure. I think yeah, I think it is uh, yeah is is very full throttle. I don't think there's a second gear, a second or third gear for um for that guy. In terms of some of the first performances where you thought you could start to see the progress of the work that Emery was putting in. Uh, when you look back at the season now, what are some of those highlight games that you look at? You look at and go, "This is uh, an example of uh, the players executing Emery's plan to you know, to a T." I don't want recency bias to come in, but beating Spurs just yeah. the other weekend at home, you know, both in the race, we're now level on points with two games to go. I'm a pessimist, so I I don't think we'll make it. Just unfortunately, but. Being there for that was just brilliant. Again, Newcastle, who were on a run of something like 19 games without defeat, come to Villa Park, a, a heavy favourites, and almost get dominated on and off the ball. Every blade of grass was seemed like it was covered from a claret and blue persuasion. I, I'm sensing a theme here at Villa Park when we also beat Man United in Emery's first game in charge, 3-1. It felt like almost a weight off the shoulders Everything was so doom and gloom under Gerard. Emery comes in his first game at home and almost the shackles are released for the Villa players to go and to go and play with freedom. I could go on beating Brighton on their own patch 2-1 again just before the long international break for the World Cup was another huge one. So yeah, he he's mm. given us a lot of good moments. It's even I'm going to I'm going to mention it doing the double over Spurs beating them on New Year's Day at um, 
their new ground, which we haven't won at before, was mm-hmm. another one. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's been multiple really impressive, impressive performances. And in just to go back to Emery for a second, because I think one thing that uh, was difficult for him during his last spell in England, which I thought was very unfair, was not his actual his management. It was it was the it was the off the pitch stuff. So it was the interviews. It was how he you know, handled himself in press conferences. As there was a lot of the. I mean, t- to be honest, just pretty xenophobic stuff around the accent. Um, and in terms of how he's operated this time, I mean, do, do you feel that there's there's almost been lessons learned there? Has he changed whatsoever? Have you been impressed by, you know, equally impressed by how he's he's handled himself off the pitch as he has, uh, you know, with, with his dedication to actually improving the team? Yeah, massively. And, and I, I completely get what you mean with, with what happened previously. You know, the man can speak seven languages. He can speak English a whole lot better than I can speak Spanish, trust right. me. So... <laughs> I, I'm in awe of him. In all honesty, and I have trust in him that I have never had in a manager Aston Villa before. I, I've been there through some pretty bleak times with Steve Bruce, with Alex McLeish, who was former Birmingham City manager. Both of them were former Birmingham City managers, yeah. feeling completely disconnected to the club. And that's very dark. That's a very dark place, actually, Alex. <laughs> it, it is. Trust me, it is. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, but. Unai Emery is completely the opposite to that. The first thing he does in every interview is to thank the fans for their amazing effort. He's always kind and considerate with journalists saying good evening, good afternoon, good morning, how are you? Like I said earlier, he just seems like a humble, down-to-earth guy that just simply loves his football. And the fans absolutely adore him. And it's clear to see in the crowd because I've never known... Villa to have so many chants based on their manager. 95% of our chants now are based around Unai Emery. So oh, really? it just gives you a feel for the whole of the club at the moment. That's very interesting. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have um, I wouldn't have known that. Because uh, you know, I think this is it's often interesting in terms of sort of how foreign managers build that that level of affection with fan bases um, over time. And yeah, certainly for somebody who was parodied so heavily by the time he left English football last time, I think it's yeah, it's really great to hear that he's been able to to come back and you know further rebuild that reputation that he has, uh, which I think is very well deserved. And it, it, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, like players who were put out into the cold under Gerard, who then came back into the fold under Emery. Uh, and some of the players that you think you regard as you know, real key figures this season, you mentioned Tyrone Mings as, as as one of them. If you had to pick the players who you think really have been the key figures uh, in this revival under Emery, um, who are they? And are there even players that you know, that we we haven't mentioned yet who've who've gone beneath the radar a little bit? Yeah, one that I'd like to bring to light is the Brazilian Douglas Luiz, still so young and so composed on the ball him and Kamara suit each other so well yeah. he's he's able to play defensively yeah. yeah yeah he's he's able to play defensively he's able to go forward he's able to carry the ball we have a midfield four at the moment of Jacob Ramsey John McGinn Douglas Louise and Bubakar Kamara John McGinn big Scottish you know no nonsense midfielder and then you've got <laughs> Douglas Louise on the ball who is so good technically good with his feet he's is he really... still doing the uh the thing from the corners 
Exactly. He hasn't scored from one for a while, actually, but he, he still attempts it. I, I Every time he goes for a corner at Villa Park, the whole crowd is <laughs> screaming shoot at him. I just I worry that he thinks we're booing him, but um, I hope he doesn't get the wrong impression with that. But yeah, look, he he scored again uh, from a free kick the other day against Spurs. So his off the ball delivery has has improved so much since Emery came in. He is one that I really think has been taken to the next level. Yeah, one player that like frequently catches the eye. Maybe it's sort of the bias around him being being a young English player, but he certainly caught my eye whenever I've seen Villa. In terms of maybe it's even just the fact that I was looking at him and looking at Liverpool's mid, uh, Liverpool's midfield and not thinking I want to sign that player or anything like that. But I just just go, huh? That player's profile is something we don't have <laughs> in terms of a young, dynamic midfield capable of bursting through the lines and like uh, scoring full of energy, really dynamic uh, player to watch. Uh, just how impressed have you been by by his development? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week so make sure you listen to everything we're doing on epl index and follow us there on twitter at epl index thank you bye-bye yeah immensely um the one thing i've noticed since emery came in is the confidence that players will have on the ball now john mcginn was saying it the other day that he's he's always learned to take a touch and then get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. And he feels that even though he may be past the peak in his career now, that he is continuously learning to be comfortable on the ball, to be able to drive with the ball. You know, it's it's Emery's Spanish roots that you don't necessarily have to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. As long as you can find a good option at the end of it, you can hold on to the ball for 30, 40 seconds, if you like, and run with it and run at defence and cause people problems. That's why it's so difficult. With Ollie Watkins now not occupying the channels, we now have almost four central midfielders without wingers that can almost interchange, if you like, which completely bamboozles the opposition defence. So, yeah, there's there's so many players. I could go through every player in the squad that has, that has upgraded since Emery came in. It has the Liverpool connection. I mean, I think people obviously be drawn to uh, Coutinho and his um, his uh, his time at Villa. I felt like when he joined, it couldn't have been a more poetic start to his life at Villa, right? I think felt felt very romantic in terms of the way in which he he came into the side. And I have to admit, he's he's a player. I'd be interested in your opinion because he's a player for me who I, I thoroughly enjoyed his time when he was at Liverpool. I, I understood that he he didn't quite fit into the system that Liverpool were trying to employ. And again, he's a, a player who's sort of a luxury player at times, g- given different systems that managers try to employ, but so much talent there. And I, and also just from a football fan point of view, like uh, 
seeing that guy glide past people, you know, the, the the tricks that actually have purpose, um, not just shooting from range, where, which I think was the thing that crept into his game when he was um, going through bad patches or low in confidence. But yeah, I, I always thought he was uh, unfairly maligned, to be honest. I, th- I think the way in which his career has unfolded is a bit unfortunate. But in terms of the impact he's made at Villa and just perception, I think fans' perception of him at Villa as well, you think it's still positive? Has he renewed under under uh, Emery as well? It's a real shame for Coutinho because he he had a real positive spell. Obviously, you know, like you mentioned previously, Harry, when he first came in, it was almost like a fairy tale how everything was aligning. You know, he scored that goal at the S he had on the last day of the season, and we thought, wow, yeah, you don't you need know, to remind he... me. You don't need to remind <laughs> me <of> that. <laughs> apologies, apologies, but yeah, no, he. I think almost fans became frustrated under Gerard with him, mainly because of Gerard's stubbornness to drop him, even when he was going through a bad patch. You you could almost see with Coutinho, you could always, always tell that he was an elite player, that he when he turned it on, you know, his his eye for a pass, his movement was just of an elite calibre. So you could see why he's reached those levels in his career. And then when Emery came in, he he struggled for minutes. Like I say, he was injured when he first came in. He managed to get himself back to full fitness and he played a big role in Emery's team. I remember him starting in the loss at home to Arsenal and he finished off what I think will go down as our goal of the season, a great team move. And his confidence was really flowing again. And then guttingly for him, he got injured and we haven't seen him since. I don't think he's going to make the yeah. journey to Anfield from what I've heard from the club. I think that's probably his season over and I do think we'll see him depart in the summer. So it it hasn't worked out how he or how we would have liked it. But to be able to see him grace the pitch at Villa Park and see some of the special moments that he's he's produced for us was yeah. was special. Yeah, no, I think as you, I, I actually, not to blame you, Sebastian, but I actually had completely blocked out that goal. The uh, Coutinho scored against City. I actually completely forgot. Yeah, that that, that happened. Yeah, there was a halcyon, uh, like a minute, minute and a half, however long it lasted. But yeah, I do, I do hope someone's able to give uh, Philippe Coutinho a uh, a ticket up to Anfield so he gets to gets to say farewell to Bobby anyway in Stark. I'm not sure that's going to be quite the send off for for Firmino, judging by what the uh, what the away fans did at Leicester the other night. But you mentioned departures there. That brings me on to thinking about the future then for Villa and how you build upon the foundations that Emery's put in place this season. When you look at the team, you look at what Emery's trying to do, the style of play he's trying to employ. Where, where do you think are the obvious areas where the squad could strengthen uh, in order for Villa to really kick on uh, this summer? And I'm guessing you're you're fully inspecting that uh, that level of investment to be there. Yeah, again, from what I'm hearing around the club is that we we are going to go for it again this summer. But as as for names, your guess is as good as mine. We've we've had today, in recent weeks, we've had reports that Villa are going to hire a new director of football um, to to really work with Emery on his transfers from from Barcelona, Matteo Alemany. Um And then today, magnificently, it's seen that although Barcelona announced his departure Mm. he's actually done a u-turn and gone back to barcelona so we won't have him in the summer so it seems as all links from the papers were (laughs) just speculation as they always are um 
But in terms of positions, though, like the the actual sections of the team where you think, okay, like regardless of which names actually end up coming through the door, these are the areas that you're going to need to strengthen if Villa and uh, Villa are going to take that next step. Okay, so I'm I'm going to take an educated guess here based on what I've heard, Um, and I I think we'll we will spend around the two hundred million mark for four players is what I believe will happen. I think one of those players will be a striker. The second one will be a wide midfielder. The third one will be a central midfielder. And then the fourth one will be either a centre-back or a right-back. Mm. You say speculation. That, that That's that's quite specific, to, to be honest, <laughs> in terms of that. Uh, you, you mentioned striker. I, I'm always interested when people say, oh, yeah, we're going to go out and spend money on a striker. What what's the profile you think that Emery wants in 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 this striker that's going to be coming through? Because as you said, you've got a number of different forwards, uh, perhaps not out and out. I mean, Danny Ings, of course, but like in terms of the actual profile of striker that you think Emery is after, he has worked with a number of very different profiles of striker across his career. So it doesn't look like he's like much to do with Emery. He's a very uh, adaptable guy, it looks like, but. Do you think that there's a certain profile he's got in mind? I think it will be a striker who can also play slightly further back if needed, almost occupying the role that Emmy Brendier plays for Villa at the moment, or or Leon Bailey, someone that can play up front but can also play out wide. Now, Ollie Watkins can also do that role, so I'm going to completely contradict myself, and it might be a more out-and-out striker. We've been linked with Tammy Abraham in recent weeks. We've also been linked with a very ambitious move for Juventus to Sam Vlahovic. So you can almost see from those two links there the type of profile that we're going for, a big, strong centre-forward who can hold the play up. No, Tammy would be great. Yeah, it'd be great to see see that uh, return to the Premier League. I think that's... um, Yeah, he's... a player I've always rated that I thought, uh, again, an- another figure feels like we talked about quite a few of them who've been unfairly, unfairly maligned and very happy to see his uh, his adventure in Roma go the way in which it has done. Of course, like I think a little bit off the ball recently, but he has largely had a wonderful, a wonderful time there. And and so you mentioned you're still still the outside chance of Europe. You think it's going to perhaps prove a little bit too much for you in the end, but. Uh, as I said, many Liverpool fans I know are looking at this game, and you know, again, it's outside chance of 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 Liverpool finishing uh, in the top four. I think it's, it's obviously completely out of our hands. We can just win, try and win the games that we've got left. But I think this is definitely regarded as the as the, as the the tougher of the two that we have left. Obviously, with Southampton being relegated, how do you think he's going to approach this this game? I mean, seeing the run that Liverpool have been on you know, seven consecutive wins uh, since changing to this this new system where Trent obviously finds his way into midfield and uh, Curtis Jones has come into the side as well to to great effect. But I, I, I'll i be honest, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm slightly concerned about this because I think this, as we, as we talked about, Emery, with the level of detail that goes into his preparation, the fact that he tends to, to really base his selections quite a lot on what the opposition do, uh, I've seen it in the past that he's, he's he's had very good plans and setups for like to try and exploit uh, the weaknesses that Liverpool have had. I'm guessing, like, given the season you've you've had, there's nothing to lose. That even though you're coming you know, away from home to to Anfield, final game of the season at Anfield, uh, that he's he's going to go for 
quite a positive lineup, a positive approach. Like like you say, you never know with Unai Emery. I, I actually believe this it will be our toughest game since his appointment. There's, right. there's just something about Anfield that I, I never feel confident going there. And yeah. last home game of the season, the crowd are going to be up. You're, you're gunning for top four. so mm. Lots of farewells in there as well, I guess. So, yeah, yes, crowd. exactly, exactly. A lot's been made about that, especially Bobby Firmino. So, yeah, as a pessimist, I'm... I'm not looking forward to this one at all. I've I'd almost conceded this one for a long time, but one thing I've got to learn under Unai Emery is we can't concede games anymore before before they've played because I I imagine that he'll go for a very solid defensive display with the aim to hurt you on the counter attack. I I believe that this one will be played in the midfield half. Whoever can win the battle of midfield will probably come out on top because Villa look to play such a high line at the moment. And Liverpool, we saw exploit that against Leicester at many a time just last week. So Villa will have to be wary of those runs in behind from your attackers, especially with Trent Alexander-Arnold's range of passing ability. He'd be able to clip one over our defence in no trouble. But I also think Liverpool like to play quite a high line as well. So if we can catch that out and then hit them on the counter-attack, I think this could be a really open game. Yeah, I expect it to be. I I I do expect him to have a plan for the space that uh, Trent vacates in this new role. I think it's it's I, mean, I suppose it's the best way to you know refine a new system, right? Is to test it uh, for it to be tested against multiple managers, multiple different tacticians. Like they're all going to try and find a flaw in it. So it's something that we've stumbled upon this season. I, I, I think Klopp's admitted that it wasn't. It wasn't uh, a long-term plan to to necessarily have done this, but uh, the way in which it's worked for the players and clearly there, I think one issue for Liverpool this season, I felt, was that you could tell at points during the season that the players didn't really believe in the tactical approach that they were being told to to go and implement. Whereas I think uh, since since these changes have been made, I think you can see the players buying into it again. Levels are being raised. Maybe it's that they're enjoying the challenge a little bit. Virgil. Uh, Van Dijk has certainly raised his level significantly uh, throughout that. And uh, Curtis Jones coming in, yeah, it's really been, I'd say, to his best Ginny Wijnaldum impression. But actually, I think he's, uh, he's, the numbers the numbers he's putting up at the moment are are stronger than that. So, it's yeah, it's, uh, I certainly imagine it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, I, I often ask this question about, are there, are there certain players that you're, that, that you're not looking forward to facing uh, when it comes to Liverpool? Um, Earlier in the season, it was sort of a, a weirder question because uh, players always, fans always sort of concerned about Salah and, and the like, but uh, weren't necessarily playing that well. Um, given this new system, but also given Villa's renewed strength, I mean, are there still Liverpool players that you look at and go, okay, they're, you know, they're the one that we need to uh, to worry about. They're the one who are going to cause us the much trouble on the day. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My LibertyShield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial 
and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, there is. Um, Salah Sal always seems to score against Villa and Trent always seems to be able to get an assist or a goal against us. So mm. those, those are obviously the ones who who I'm looking out for. But I don't think it takes a genius to say that li- those are some of Liverpool's biggest strengths at the moment. I've always said that the elite football teams always come into their own at the end of the season. So yeah. Liverpool having had you know, not the season you would have hoped for, but seeing this run towards the end of the season, you see it with City as well, who are who look like they'll never lose a football game again at the moment. The the big clubs, the elite football teams who are well drilled, who know what they're doing, towards the end of the season, the last ten, fifteen games always look a league above. And I'd 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 say Liverpool are in that category at the moment. You know, like I, like I think you said, you've won seven in a row, is that correct? Yeah, seven. Yeah. yeah, so you know it. It will. It, it's no easy feat stopping them. And when the players like Salah and like Trent Alexander-Arnold are in some of the best form of any players in the world you, at home, you know the odds are stacked against Villa. I feel for this one. Yeah, and I think it's. Uh, I certainly think it's going to be a competitive game. Actually, I think, and also the 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 emotion of the occasion with some of those farewells can sometimes be a bad thing. Actually, I have seen it be a bad thing in the past where it sort of clouds, clouds players a little bit, but um, no, I think I certainly, certainly expecting a competitive game and yeah, definitely the toughest one that we've got, got remaining. But um, in, in terms of the future then and, and, and next season, I feel like given the run that you've been on and all the, all the positivity or the optimism around the camp, like, I mean, what are your expectations for for next season? Like, uh, provided the summer goes well in terms of the right business, the right players coming in. Yeah. So, since our promotion from the championship, we've been on a very upward trajectory with the aim of improving season upon season. So, I think I mentioned it earlier. I think we will just miss out on Europe this year. But I, I again, I think we'll spend in summer, and I think we'll really push for those for those top six spots next year. If we can if we can keep this form under Rune Emery and we can keep our, our good home record at the moment and really keep our squad firing on all fronts, being able to bring in characters that supplement the squad and don't, you know, disarm the, the harmony, if you like, then I, I don't see any reason why we can go on and improve again. Yeah, and no, I certainly think so. I think you've seen an, an example this season of, exactly what well-run clubs can achieve. I think there's been a number of um, examples of that. And I think the way in which you know, Villa had to start from yeah. being on the back foot, to be honest, in terms of sort of how the the initial plans didn't go the way in which they had hoped. So as much as I would I, like, would have loved to have seen Gerard be a success at uh, at Villa and, and still hope he can actually prove himself a success as a manager, I think, yeah, you've obviously made the correct choice to to part ways and to... To choose a manager whose 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 resume speaks for itself, so it's um, yes, I'm certainly expecting a competitive game this weekend for sure. But uh, S- Sebastian, like, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate all the insight, 
on Villa, all the optimism. I mean, it's, it's not always been the most optimistic chat when I've spoken to Villa journalists and Villa fans over the past past few seasons, to be honest. So it's actually been good to hear that everything is moving in the right direction. Everybody's pulling in the same direction as well. So thanks so much for coming on. really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be allowed on. Thank you for having me. No worries. And uh, definitely get you back next season to talk about how the project's unfolding. But uh, to all those who've been listening to the to the pod this season, um, the, there's only one more only one more rival recon left uh, for the for the campaign. That will be ahead of the game, the last game of the season uh, against Southampton on the 28th of May. Will will top four still be like in with a shout for it? We'll, we'll have to see by that stage. But uh, yeah, it's a very improbable run of top four that, that Liverpool have been on with these seven consecutive wins. So yeah, do join us again uh, ahead of that game, the final game of the season against Southampton. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.